Good job. Good job. Amen. Amen. Woo. Jeremy's got some more soloists. There you go. Awesome. Now, aren't you glad you came, right? All right. Thank you guys so much. And what a great support group you have with your family. Thank you so much for coming to do that. And if you've never done that, you don't know how scary that can be. Amen. So awesome. Good deal. Just relax. We're serving Jesus here. Amen. All right. Papa, good to see you. Jeremy's dad's here. So I love you, big guy. Glad you're here today. Okay. All right. Hey, let's find 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, I promise you today, I hope with all of my heart, as I've looked at this, to, to help you. What we're going to do, Mike's going to put our, put our outline up for us if it's not already there. And uh, we're, if you'll look in uh, chapter 6, the last verse in chapter 6, you'll see where the context is coming from right here. And in verse number 20, it says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. So then Paul begins in chapter 7, and we're going to look at that in just a second. I'm going to take you through the process. I'm going to taxi a little bit because this message is really just the foundation of where we're going. And so I'm going to give you a, a little introduction. Let me just read the first verse in, uh, of chapter 7, and then Paul says, Now, in response to the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. And so that's translated in many different ways. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Let's keep going. The context is really, if you're going to see as I show you, is not necessarily marriage, but purity in our bodies. And so Paul says, good for a man not to touch a woman. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife, and each wife should have her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise, a wife to her husband. A wife doesn't have the right over her own body, but her husband does. And in the same way, a husband doesn't have a right over his own body, but the wife does. Don't deprive one another sexually, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I say the following as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were like I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person in this way and another in that way. So let me lead us into this. There was a, a wife who was talking to her husband one morning over the, the, their breakfast or at their breakfast table. And she looked at him and she says, Honey, I've been thinking, if something happened to me, would you get married again? And he said, I don't know, I never thought about that. And she says, well, really? I mean, what, I, mean I know you love me, but w would, you, would you marry again? He said, well, you know, probably. I, you know, I don't like to be alone. And so she says, would, would you let her like, stay here in our house? And he says, well, where else are we going to go? She says, would you let her drive my car? He says, well, you're not, you won't be using it, so I mean, you know, why well, buy a new car? Well, would you let her stay in our bedroom? Well, of course I would. He says, well, would you let her use my golf clubs? And he said, no, she's left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage comes with a lot of different problems. And uh, you, you have to be behave. That's probably the last funny thing you're going to hear this morning. The next few messages, I hopefully will answer a lot of questions for you. And over the years, through the experience and just 
dealing with people who have had trouble in their marriage, having gone through very rocky situations in my own life and my own personal situation, I've come to search the scriptures out. By the way, when your pastor has a hard time, that's where I go, to the Word of God. And I look for it. And so today what I want to do is, uh, in the next few messages, we're going to encourage the weak, educate the ignorant, and to rescue the perishing. Amen? The reason that this topic, many of you have wondered over the years, why is marriage such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal to Southern Baptists? Why is divorce such a very difficult thing in the life of the believer? Well, I want to tell you, here's why. Here's why it's so important. The greatest witness that we have on earth of God's relationship with his people is marriage. He is called our groom. We are the bride of Christ. Do you get the connection? Likewise, so that relationship that we have with one another is supposed to reflect the relationship that God has with us. What makes this so difficult is also that the worst witness to the relationship that God has with his children is also displayed in marriage. The provision for God forsaking his people is not in the scripture. Jesus, the groom, will never divorce his bride. Now, on another note, we have to, as pastors, and as you're going to see a passage that I share with you in a moment about Moses, that... Moses was not only the prophet of God, the chosen one to bring his people out of Egypt, Moses was also a pastor. And your pastors had to deal with the issue of divorce. I've had to deal with people that have broken hearts and broken lives, and most of the people that I've dealt with who have undergone this terrible situation are people who thought that it could never, ever, ever happen to them. And so we have to deal with this. And so one of the things that we've done very poorly as a church, not Woodlake, but the church, the kingdom of God, is we have not known really what to do with people who have experienced uh, immorality, sexual immorality, and because of that, divorce, adultery, those things. We've basically forsaken them. Marriage, listen, it's a big statement. Here's a one-liner. Marriage could possibly be the greatest walk of faith that you ever take. You say, why, Brother Jerry? Because of the statements that Jesus made about marriage. And so some of the statements that Jesus made about marriage, you're going to see in a moment, I'm going to take you to that passage, that one of the disciples literally said, well, if that's the case, there's no reason, why should we even get married? So your, your relationship with the person that you said, I do with, is is an enormous responsibility, and it is a very big step of faith. Uh, Marriage is a rewarder of the diligent. And I want to say to you right now, those of you who have a good marriage right now, I want you just to maybe right now reach over and take the hand of your spouse and just quietly squeeze it and let them know, I know, I know. And if you have a great marriage, you need to thank God for it right now. And if you're struggling, you need to pray that God would do whatever it takes to make it right. Amen? And you let that know that person know that you love them more than anything else in this world. There's nothing that will cut you deeper, hurt you worse than your marriage when things are not right. And those of you who have experienced this, divorce or separation, my heart goes out to you. 
And I really say that with all honesty that I know that you've probably beat yourself up enough about it. So that's not what's going to take place here today, okay? Jesus Christ is all about restoration. He's all about using people. You may have been told, well, you've been divorced. You're not good for anything. Well, I got news for you. If Jesus can forgive anything, he can forgive anything. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin, and you don't need to walk around with a big D tattooed on your forehead. I'm going to take you to the next place, to the place where you can be used for the glory of God. Rick Offord, that great theologian friend of mine, <laughs> if you didn't know Rick, and many of you don't, Rick's gone to be with the Lord for a good while now, but Rick had a dry sense of humor. Uh, but when he spoke and he was being funny, it was dry, but it was funny, and it had a punch to it. And Rick Offord used to say, marriage is like flies on a screen door. Some trying to get out, some trying to get in. <laughs> I like that. The Apostle Peter actually says this about marriage. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. As the weaker partner, as an heir with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The greatest hindrance to our prayers is uh, those who are married who are not on the same page. And the word for considerate here, I, I took the time to look that up for you. It means to dwell with your wife with knowledge. And so isn't it funny that some guys don't even know what kind of sauce his wife puts on her chicken wings. They don't know what kind of toothpaste or perfume that she wears. And I want to tell you something. The word considerate there means dwell with your wife with knowledge. You need to be interested in your wife. You need to pay attention to your wife. You need to know everything about her. And if you're not willing to put that type of work into the relationship, don't get married. She's your girl, and you need to know every cotton-picking thing about her. That's some southern theology right there. You need, to know, you need to be able to go into a restaurant and order her meal while she's driving there. Y'all right? You need to know what she likes, what she doesn't like, what she wears. You need to know everything about her and wives the same way. You need to know everything about your man. And you need to protect one another. It says to dwell with her with knowledge. And the word respect here means honor. And can I ask you a question? Are you honoring your spouse? And so it takes all that we possess. It takes 100% from each person to have a great marriage and an enormous dose of Jesus Christ. That person that you love more than anything in the world, you'll wake up one morning and look over them and think, what in the world have I done? I am so sick of you that they may never find your body. But that's the truth, amen? And so if you will, you will hear some things today that as we go through this chapter and here and next week that you, you might not like, but I'm going to stay in the Word. Many of you have heard some Baptist doctrine over the years that's not the Word. Many of you have heard this passage taken out of context. I'm going to put us in the context, so I'm taking a little more time on our introduction. I want to guide you. I'm going to stay in the Word. Uh, I want to guide you through some difficult waters and encourage you to honor God in any situation that you're in. The context in a moment will explain that, okay? I've done a lot of premarital counseling, and I found out that most people, as they go into marriage, spend more time planning a vacation than they do preparing for marriage. 
I'm still amazed at how people are so naive before they enter into this sacred commitment. Outside of receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, marriage is the greatest commitment that you'll ever make to anyone. And, And I would say that being born again is not nearly as difficult as being married. Because he never lets go of you. Many people prepare for so many things, but not, you know, I tell you, today in this day and age, people prepare more for the wedding ceremony after the ceremony. The ceremony of the weddings that I do now is not important. It's the party afterwards. And that is very important, by the way. But the ceremony is what's important. But Brother Jerry Please keep it to 20 minutes. And I'm okay with that. Y'all all right? Because if the ceremony takes 20 minutes or an hour and a half, you're still just as married. And I'm not saying that we need to have a big ceremony, but I'm saying we need a lot of preparation before we get there. That we understand that. In spite of all the sacred preparation that you perform, many marriages still today fail. And I want to say to you, as your pastor, greater men, greater Christians than I have lost their marriage. It's important, I'm certain, that if you have experienced divorce, you're hurt. You carry it with you the rest of your life. But you can get over it, and Jesus Christ is all about restoration. 1 John 1, 9 says, As we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I've had some different opinions of reality than some preachers, and I want you to look biblically with me at this text with discernment. I understand that it's a difficult area, and sometimes the most painful consequences of your walk with God. We all want to honor God with our bodies, amen? And that's what Paul is talking about. Uh, We want to do that, but sometimes we have to make choices that we didn't want to make. Now, people will say, well, that's not biblical, Brother Jerry. Well, I'm sorry, but for about 35 years in ministry, I've helped people deal with situations that have happened in their life that there's no answers to. They just have to rely upon the Holy Spirit to walk them through the next step of life when they know this is not God's best, but i got to deal with what I have to deal with. We have to make lemon out of lemonades theologically. But our God is a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. Life is not perfect. Marriage is not perfect. And we're not perfect. But God is perfect. Amen? And you won't know how painful this is if you've had a marriage that's gone on for 60 years until one of your children experiences this. And then it will hurt so deeply for them, for you, and you'll say, I can't believe this happened. And one thing that I have learned through all of life is this, and here's you another good one-liner. Pastor loves one-liners. You can't control the actions of another person. Somebody walks out on the door on you and divorces you, you're divorced one way or the other, whether you like it or not. If they cheat on you, they cheated on you. You cannot control. You can't make another person do what you want them to do. And so my goal, my proposition for this message is to encourage those of you who have experienced failure, me included, I seek to warn those who are not married about the sacredness of the vows they'll take and where they're going, and then to give biblical advice to those who are in trouble right now. But don't judge something that I say and my opinions until you hear me out. 
because I want to introduce you to some things that maybe you never heard before. I want to give you the Word of God. And when I don't have a word from God, as Paul says in here, and this is really the only place in Scripture that Paul does this, when he talks about something so serious, Paul says, I don't have a command from the Lord, but let me tell you what I think. Now, once Paul put it in Scripture, it's inspired, done deal. It's the Word of God. Amen? But Paul understood, and I'm going to take you to a place Also, where Jesus is going to make a comment that lets you know that Jesus knew in our frailty and in our humanity, the Son of God knew we were going to fail. He knew it. And he made provisions for that to help you. And so, when I speak from experience and spiritual education, I will tell you, this is what your pastor thinks. I don't have a passage to back this up, but I speak from experience. I've seen it. So, Marriage is absolutely hard work. And if you have a good one, just thank God for it. I mean, just hug your spouse and tell them that you love them, you're awesome. I want to thank all of you that have been married for so long, and you've shown us how to do it. And some of you have just, I mean, through thick and thin, no matter what, we're not going to depart. We're going to stay together. That's just, that's just the way to do it. And for those of you who have just, it, something has happened that's caused these other problems in your life, God bless you. We're going to help all we can. Ruth Harms Calkin says this. She was a prolific Christian author. Says this about marriage. It's rough, it's tough, it's work. And anybody who says it isn't has never been married. Marriage has, for, has far bigger problems than the toothpaste squeezed from the middle of the tube. Y'all all right? I had some marriage counseling information one time that says you got to tell them stuff like that. That's ridiculous. If you're going to fight over which end of the tube you squirt the toothpaste from, you're not going to make it anyway. Marriage means grappling, aching, struggling. It means putting up with personality weaknesses, accepting criticism, and giving each other freedom to fail. It means sharing deep feelings about fear and rejection. It means turning self-pity into laughter and talking and walking to gain control. Marriage means gentleness and joy, toughness and fortitude, fairness and forgiveness, and a walloping amount of sacrifice. Marriage means learning when to say nothing, when to keep talking, when to push a little, when to back off. It means acknowledging I can't be God to you. I need God myself. Marriage means you're the other part of me, and I'm the other part of you. And we'll work together with never a thought of walking out. Marriage means two imperfect mates building permanently, giving totally, in partnership with a perfect God. Marriage, my love, means us. So, Mike, if you have my other slide up there, or uh, Maddox, if you have my slide... Let's look at the context. Here's where we are. What's going on in this text? I want you to, to follow with me. I wanted you to see this because I'm going to refer to this little Greek phrase because this is not only the outline of our, uh, the context of our passage as we begin. This is also the context of the, the next uh, seven or eight messages. And I want to show you what's happening right here. There's a little Greek phrase here called peri-day. I've transliterated it so you can see it in English, peri-day. It's the phrase now concerning. And if you look with me in uh, chapter 7 and verse 1, the Holman Christian puts it this way, now in response. 
and the King James Version, it's going to say, now concerning. The NIV translates it, now for the matters you wrote about. If you have uh, that home and Christian, it'll say, about the things you wrote to me. ESV says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Now, here's the divisions. Let me show you what Paul is actually doing. And so this is how we got to this place right here. If you'll look in chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul says, now concerning, the KJV says, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now look in chapter 7. If you'll look in chapter 7 in verse number 25. Paul says, now concerning virgins. You see, it's the same phrase, peri day. So the people, if you remember, I told you, 1 Corinthians came from a group of people that were coming to Paul from Corinth, and they came to him at Ephesus and said, hey, listen, you left. We don't understand these things. Can you give us some biblical clarity about this? And so in chapter 1, Paul's talking about sexual immorality. If you'll remember that the, the Corinthian culture was so pagan that those people brought the sexual immorality. The context, really, the foundation in chapter 7 is not marriage. Paul uses marriage as an illustration. If you'll notice in verse 1, Paul says it's good for a man not to have sexual relations. Paul is talking about purity, and actually he's talking to men. And so then Paul, the next question was, Paul says, they ask him, well, what about virgins? And immediately you've already thought in your mind, girls. Paul's talking about virgins. There are men who are virgins. And Paul is addressing that. He's saying to the men. This mainly, I believe, is to the men. And so today, if you're 30 and you're a man and you're a virgin, well, obviously there's something wrong with you. You have to be gay. Well, no, you don't have to be. You might be walking with Jesus. You may have been divorced and decided not to remarry, but you've chosen to be pure for the kingdom of God. Paul addresses that. Now, that's the real context. So now, if you look in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. What is the next thing that Paul says? Paul says, Perry Day. Paul says, now concerning. In chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. I would not have you to be ignorant. They ask a question about spiritual gifts. Now, folks, this is very important because this is the context. And when we get to spiritual gifts, there's going to be some folks that are not going to like what I say. But here's the context. Paul is not praising the church in Corinth for their spiritual gifts wisdom. Paul is slamming them to the mat. Paul says, now, about the, about the issues of spiritual gifts, the people had brought in all this culture from the prostitutes, from the, the pagan temples, and they were having ecstatic utterances and falling off and flopping around in the floor. And Paul says, that's not the way this is to be done. And Paul corrects that. So Paul says, now concerning the spiritual gifts. Are you seeing the context of what we're doing? Paul is just answering the questions. If you go to chapter 16, the same 
the same phrases there, peri day. Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints. Paul was going to uh, Colossians and Galatians and Philippians and Corinth, and he was taking up a collection, an offering. You know, we do that as Baptists. It's biblical right here. Paul, when people get in trouble, we collectively take up a love offering. And so Paul is saying right here, the folks, when I get back to Jerusalem, my next trip home off of this missionary journey, I'm going to be taking a, a love offering to the Jews there who have given themselves to Jesus Christ and who are poor and struggling and being persecuted. And so that phrase again, now concerning. So Paul starts here in chapter 7. We are introduced to that phrase, peri day, now concerning. And so that's so what we're doing this morning is we're changing gears a little bit. Uh, Paul is done with dealing with divisions in the church, and now Paul is going, he's going to start answering these questions. And here's the first question. Paul says, Now in response to the matters that you wrote me about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so in verse number one, most of the preachers that I know that are conservative, they're good preachers, they'll exegete this passage the same. They, however, will skip the context. Many of them won't agree on the context and, and don't want to even talk about the context. They'll, however, skip one aspect of it. Paul is talking about sex before marriage, but he's also talking about celibacy. You say, Brother Jerry, how do you know that? Paul says, look in uh, verse number 7. I wish that all people were like me. It should be like I like I am. But each has his own gift from God, one person in this way and another in that way. Many people have tried to speculate, oh, well, Paul was a married man. I don't know what happened to Paul's wife, whether she died or whatever, but I know at this time, if Paul was married, he wouldn't have been celibate. And Paul was saying, I've sacrificed myself for the kingdom of God. And so in, in 7, seven he says, I wish that all the men could be like I am. The foundation of this text right here, I just showed you the context, is sexual purity. That's the context. Now, Paul's going to use marriage to illustrate that. Paul didn't start out talking about marriage. Here, the, the men that were in Corinth that got saved were having to behave. Y'all all right? Now, is that the context? Did the pastor just show you the context? Absolutely. They were saying, listen, we got saved, but why can't we still go do these things? No, you can't do that. Now you've got to honor God with your body. And, and, he, and so Paul uses marriage. He says, listen, if you can't control yourself, go ahead and get married. So, so I figured a man in the room would have said amen right there. That a man would forego marriage and sacrifice the gift of sex is foreign to our culture. We have no idea what that's like. We, we can't even imagine that. That's why so many people miss the context right here. Paul's talking about purity in a relationship. And so you, you may have someone, you may have a pastor that loses his wife. And then that pastor will stand before his people, not remarry, and give himself to the kingdom of God. And people would say, man, what a sacrifice. Some people may not even recognize it. But the purity of his life is more important. Now, I want you to know that there are, there are many people who have dedicated their lives to Christ and have given their bodies, their souls, and their spirits. They've sacrificed having a family, children, posterity for the kingdom of God. They really have. And it, it, it's absolutely amazing. 
that someone would love the Lord Jesus that much. Now, I want to say that sacrifice. Many men have experienced divorce or separation, and they've never remarried. But yet, they, they remain pure for the cause of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul says, it's best if a man doesn't touch a woman. And how that's translated is translated in so many different ways. And uh, I've, I've shown you what actually that means. I'm going to hit that here in just a minute. But I want to take you even to what the Lord Jesus said. Many men have experienced this. Jesus even speaks about this. After the Jewish leaders tried to trap him in a question about marriage. And this is a phrase in Jesus' response that I can bet mo that you've never heard a preacher deal with this. See, and here's what we do. And, I, and this is okay. And this is a place where I've often said some of my, famous, my favorite theologians, my favorite godly men that I, li I listen to and, and read about, they over-exegete the text. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? They will take a conservative thought, and because they're Baptists, they'll put the Southern Baptist view on it and carry it a step further. We're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to change the text. The text says what the text says, and you deal with it. And that's why I say that this is coming out of sexual purity. And so we're to be sexually pure before marriage, during marriage, and after marriage. That's the context. And so now, I want you to go with me here so you can see this. Matthew chapter 19. And I want you to see these questions, and this is probably where we're going to end up today. We won't get much further than this. But I want you to see this, and this will be here, uh, the NIV. But the reason that I list so many things when I translate something for you and give you all those different translations is to show you the difficulty in translating some of these words. And when you, when the difficulty in translating this word, this idea of the King James argument is so silly at times. It's like, look, stop. Everybody has a different, as long as it's a translation, as long as we're in the scripture, and I want to show you how difficult that is, and you'll see it here in just a minute. In Matthew 19 and verse 3, and by the way, here's the context of it, and this is a good question. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. Their, their goal and their motives weren't pure. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, the context of everything that Jesus is going to say after that comes out of what context? Well, in the Mishnah and the Talmud and other places in the Jewish historical writings, it was known that the men would literally divorce their wives for cooking a bad meal. That's how, and, and you know, we would, that's shocking, isn't it? No, not today, because we divorce, we go in and out of marriage like it's nothing. And, and so Paul is, you know, Jesus is addressing that. So the context here, now remember, here's the context. That was the question that was asked. We're not allowed to change the context. And so he says, can you marry for, can you divorce your wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning, that the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Well, I got to sit down for a minute. Yeah, all right, Lord, I'm mercy. This is so hard. I just wonder how many liberals are listening this morning. He goes, right, let me see how we can exegete this and what the word man and woman mean. No, listen, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It goes right on down and says, He created man and woman somebody say glory do you believe I'm going to tell y'all what I identify as a Jesus follower 
And Jesus said, the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, man and woman too, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that they're no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus clearly says from the beginning, a man and a woman, and God said when they come together, they don't part. That's the best way to go. Amen? And I don't think there's a believer in this world, whether they're divorced, single, separated, whatever, that would tell you that divorce or separation is a good thing. Nobody would tell you that. They would say, yes, this is painful. Why? Because Jesus says when we're married, we become one flesh. Now, what happens when you become one flesh? And you tear it apart. It is painful. And that's what happens when you divorce. That's why it's so painful. But now watch. If... I hate to give the Pharisees any credit whatsoever, but man, what a good question. This is an I got you moment. It says, hey, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Whoa. So these jokers just pulled back and said, yeah, now, Jesus, you're saying this. So if that's the truth, how come Moses allowed them to be divorced? And Jesus said, wasn't that way from the beginning? He said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. For the last 35 years, the pastor has dealt with people who have made mistakes and failed because their hearts are hard. But when that happens, guess what? We got to restore these people and get them back in the fight. We got to make lemonade out of lemons. That's what Moses was doing. Do y'all agree with me or do you think pastor's slipping? I'm not slipping i, I got to take a guy who loves his wife with all of his heart, gets addicted to pornography, makes a terrible mistake. She's going to leave him and says, I'm not putting up with this. I'm out of here. He messed up big time. Is he redeemable? Yes, he's redeemable. If he's not, most of the men in this room are not going to make it. Because you are filled with lust. Because after the fall, we turned into these pagans that are driven by our passions. And, and sin entered in. And so these Pharisees says, hey, hold on a minute. You're telling us this, but this is what Moses did. And they revered Moses. And Jesus would go on to say, yeah, and you know, Moses spoke of me. That's why I love the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you've heard it said... But I say unto you, Jesus corrected a lot of that foolishness. Oh, you've heard that anger's bad. Let me tell you what, it's murder. You've heard that lust, adultery was bad. Let me tell you this, lust is adultery. Jesus took it a step further. See, you and I aren't allowed to do that. But the Son of God, when he spoke, it was the Word of God. And so he says, Moses permitted you to do this, but it was not this way from the beginning. And I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Boom. Jesus introduced the exception clause right there. You're like, wait a minute. I didn't hear about that in the law. But Jesus says, hey, if one commits adultery, that person has ground, biblical grounds for divorce. Doesn't mean you have to. But all of a sudden, Jesus puts that in there. Now watch verse number 10. And, and I'm with, listen, when, when I started, I said, I'm going to give you a one-liner. 
And I said, I promise you that one of the greatest steps you'll ever take of faith is marriage. Didn't I tell you that? Watch here. Then the disciple said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Do you see the serious consequences to a failed marriage? It's, it's difficult. It's hard. Now watch this. And I told you I was going to tell you something this morning that probably nobody's ever said to you. Nobody was honest enough. You know why? It's, it's because they don't want you to think about Pastor doesn't want you to think about that because you think, oh, you, you just gave me an out. I'm not giving you an out. I'm just telling you what the Son of God said. Watch. Verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word but only those for whom it was given. Jesus said, here's what I think Jesus is saying. Here's the way it was from the beginning. Here's the theology of it. But I know what's going to happen to you. And then you're going to be single again, divorced, life destroyed. And then you're going to think, what am I supposed to do? Jesus doesn't tell us what to do. And you know why? Because the bride and the groom, from a heavenly standpoint, never divorce. If you want to thank God for something this morning, your husband, your hu- the groom in heaven, has promised to never, ever, ever leave you. We may make a mess of that relationship, but our Father will never, ever leave you. I tell you that, I encourage you. Amen? And notice what Jesus said. Then Jesus backs this up with this. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Doesn't that line up with Paul's statement here? Jesus went to the heart of the matter. Jesus quit talking about marriage and said, let's talk about your sexual desires and your purity. Paul says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. I wish all of you verse 7, could be like I am. Paul says, I'm controlling that, and I'm not going to get married. I'm going to give my life to the kingdom. Jesus says, I know some of you can't accept this word. He says, this is, bad things are going to happen, and you're going to remarry. I know it. That's what he's saying. He says, some people were born that way, eunuchs. Others were made that way by men. A, a king that had a harem, the, the men that he put in charge of the harem, He castrated them. He made eunuchs out of them. You can figure that one out. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. Did you know your pastor's in a situation right now? Your pastor's in a situation right now that I've renounced a lot of things for the kingdom of heaven. You know why? Because I love you. And I love the kingdom of God. And I've put you and sexual purity ahead of other situations. You see, I'm living the message I'm preaching. You understand? And so the one, Jesus says, the one who can accept it should accept it. He says, for this reason, he says, many men have given up their lives. Many women have given up their lives. How many single women do you know who felt the call to ministry, went to the mission field, never married? Sacrificed having children for the kingdom of heaven. You see, and here we are worried about marriage and say, well, gosh, that's a sacrifice of marriage. No, that's a sacrifice for the kingdom of heaven. So could Jesus actually be saying that there are no excuses for sexual immorality, no matter how you were born or what has happened to you since? 
Your spiritual life, in other words, is what Jesus is saying is the most important thing in your life. Amen? That's what he's saying. And, and there are people who are going to find themselves in a situation they're going to want to remarry. And I think Jesus is saying, if you can't accept this teaching, some of you will not be able to. And Paul clues us into this. Paul says, better to marry than to burn. Y'all all right? So Paul says, here, your spiritual life is more important. This area of truth is so, so deep that Jesus says not everyone can even accept it. You're in some deep cotton right now, let me tell you. The Greek word here for what Paul says is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, many people translate that as marriage, but it's not. The word actually means to touch, to fasten to, to kindle, to kindle a fire, to cling, and to hold on to. Now, you know Paul is not talking about touching a woman. We use the same euphemisms today. What do we say? Oh, sister so-and-so, you know she's sleeping with him. We know we're not talking about sleeping. Paul's not talking about touching a person. Paul is talking about physical relationship. Now, as I told you, the NIV says this. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. See, that's, that's not a good translation. The NASU says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's an accurate, dead point on. We know what he means by that, right? When Paul says the man was sick and he's sleeping, we know he's dead. <laughs> That's where we use euphemisms, you know. Now, the ESV says, now concerning the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with the woman. That is the perfect translation right there. That's what Paul's talking about. And I like the little easy-to-read version. It says, now I will discuss the things you wrote about. You ask, is it better for a man not to have any sexual relations at all. That's getting pretty close too right there. And then Holman says, it's good for a man not to have relations with a woman. You see, that's another euphemism, relations or sleep with a person. So you see, the context right here is not about marriage. Paul was just using marriage to illustrate what he was saying about, about sexual purity. And did you know you can be married but still be sexually impure. Think about that, fellas. Am I telling the truth? Yes. If a Christian man ever disagreed with the Bible, it'd be right here. Yeah. Be good. It's good for me. You say, no, I don't know about that good. I don't mind. I want any part of that. May I make the unequivocal biblical point here that the Bible says a man is not to have relations before marriage. He's not to have relations outside of marriage. Abstinence before marriage is biblical. I don't care what the culture says. <laughs> well, you got to try everything out, you know, before you, before you get involved. Well, who says? Y'all know, one of the, the things that I've enjoyed over the years in talking with young couples and the young ladies who are virgins that come in and who have been walking with Jesus very closely their whole lives. And they will say to me in a private moment, Brother Jerry, I don't know what's going to happen on my honeymoon. I'm petrified. 
and I have some some material to give to them that they can read and some that ladies have written and things of that nature. But the one thing I've always tried to help them understand, you're going to learn together. Y'all all right? That's the fun part about being married. And I try to tell them, look, the first night and all of those things and all those expectations and everything you've seen from Hollywood is, is ridiculous. But you and your precious spouse are starting a journey together that's so personal and so wonderful that no one else is allowed to enter into that relationship. Yeah. Marriage brings about purity in all of our relationships. Commitment, trust, dignity, and honor are all results of the marriage. Why? Look in chapter 6 and verse 17. You see, in chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul tells us, But anyone joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. In the marriage relationship, you actually bring Jesus into your relationship together. Because we are united ourselves with the Lord. And Paul's going to get very specific about, and we've already talked about this, that one who goes outside and meets with a prostitute has united the Lord to the prostitute. Marriage illustrates our relationship with our groom. The standard comes from him, his commitment to never divorce the believer. Your Lord will never give up on you. And so Paul goes on, and we'll pick up right here next week. But because of immorality and because it's so common, each man should have his own wife. Now, what, where are we going from here? Paul's going to talk to those who are unmarried. And, and, you know, today there's a lot of pressure for people to get married. Paul says, you know, if you're unmarried, stay unmarried. If you're married, don't get unmarried when you become a believer. Singleness is a lifestyle that God has given many people. It's a holy calling because they give their lives. Didn't Paul say there are many, Jesus said there are eunuchs and they've given their lives to the Lord because of that and they're sexually pure. Then Paul says about married people, Paul's going to talk about when a believer has married an unbeliever and what to do and all of those things. We're going to deal with all of those things. Then in verse 17, Paul says there's a lot of various situations. And then Paul says to the widows. So you see, and about virgins. So you see, there was a lot that Paul, they had asked Paul a lot of questions, and Paul's going to answer those questions. The context, however, is not simply just marriage. If you read the rest of the chapter, you're going to see there's a big context here, but the context is purity. And I would say to you that our greatest struggle with purity is not simply the act of impurity, but what goes on in our hearts and what goes on in our minds. And so there was literally a television talk show that had a Hollywood playboy on there. He was not a playboy, but he played one in all of the movies he'd been, very handsome rascal. And so they sat him down, and they were interviewing him. And one of the last questions that was asked of him uh, about his romantic life and all those kinds of things, he had been married for many years. And they asked him, what's the key? 
to a good marriage. And he went on about, so he had this big persona of being the big playboy in Hollywood. And he says, well, he said, most people think that going from woman to woman to woman to woman is a big man. He said, any dog can do that. He said, what's true love is being totally committed to the same woman for the rest of my life. And inventing and finding different ways to love her over and over and over and over. How about that? Do you remember, I think it's Daryl Robinson, played professional basketball. How many of you remember him? Big tall guy, very talented. Well, he was a Christian. And it got out in the media that he was in his 30s now and he was a virgin. You thought the whole world would have come to an end. Because here was this guy, had all this money, great career, handsome, tall guy. But, buddy, I want to tell you something. He stood his ground, and he'd look right in the camera, and he'd say, I'm saving myself for my spouse. I'm, I'm saving myself, and I'm pure for the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. Fellows, we have to teach our young men how to treat the ladies. And you've seen what our culture has done to our ladies. We've seen what feminism has done to our ladies. We don't even teach respect and honor anymore. I'll tell you, some of these boys I see today running around with their pants hanging half down and all looking so stupid. You come to my door looking like that and want to take my daughter out and find out what happens. You'd be going down the pavement so fast, you wouldn't, your head would be spinning. Say, go get a job and pull your pants up, and then you come back. Amen? Amen? Let's do the very best we can to be pure in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, I'll pick up right there next, next week. Father, we love you.